everyone, and welcome to the show. This is episode number 80 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about Star Trek, the motion picture on your Will You Please Sit Down podcast. I'm Andy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vos. This week, we are delighted to be joined by Andy from the Women at Warp podcast. Andy, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you on. Uh, people might know you as First Time Trek. Um, do you want to tell us a bit of your history with Star Trek? You're doing something similar to what Mandy's doing with general pop culture. Yeah, so I had always been told over and over again that I would love Star Trek. And I was like, cool, that means I'm not going to watch it because you told me to watch it. And then eventually, <laughs> in on July 4th, 2013, I was real bored and kind of drunk. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to start a Twitter account and I'm going to watch Star Trek for the first time and I'm going to live tweet it while I do it. Because I bet the Trekkies, they're hurting for content at that point. (laughs) (laughs) They'll probably enjoy me watching it for the first time. Like, you know, when you show your friends something that you really love and then you actually end up watching their face instead of watching the screen. So you can be like, oh, are they going to laugh at that part? Are they going to find that funny? So I kind of did that only in Twitter form. And I've been working my way through very slowly uh, <laughs> through the entirety of Star Trek, and it's been a journey. Are, are you en- that sounds amazing. Yeah, are it's you enjoying fun. it so far? Is there enough in there to keep you going? Yeah, absolutely. I really enjoy it. I wish I could do it more often, but it actually is kind of mentally draining. Like, it seems like it would be really fun, but I felt like the bigger it got, the more I felt like I had to be, like, witty and entertaining. And some days I just don't feel very witty and entertaining. So it slowed it slowed way down, but I'm still trying to do at least a couple episodes every month or so. And um, I'm about four seasons into Deep Space Nine and two seasons into Voyager, I think. And uh, it's still really fun to do, and I still hope that people enjoy it. Yeah, it's really good fun when you get to those big episodes. I can remember you hitting, like, uh, Best of Both Worlds and everyone being like, what's going to yes. happen? What are you going to think? <laughs> yes, people get very excited when I hit the big cliffhangers because they're ready for me to just go, what? What just happened? And it's fun. It's fun for me, too, because it's like watching with a thousand people who are like excited that you're excited or even excited that you're like this is crap (laughs) (laughs) like i hated that episode they're like right let me tell you about what i hate about that episode i'm like it's it's a really large conversation with a lot of people who are very passionate about star trek and it's a lot of fun which does kind of segue us nicely to this film. Um, I think you were set up a, with a lot of expectations when you saw it. Uh, when when was it in the process that you actually saw this? It was April 2015. And okay. I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, I powered through all six of the original series movies because I was we were about to launch Women at Warp. And I wanted to be able to talk all about TOS without having to be like, spoilers! So... I watched all of them in a couple day period and people were very strongly feeling that I was going to hate it. They really thought that they had that locked. And um, it was kind of interesting that it just got deluge of people being like, so boring, you're going to hate it so much, you should just skip it. Which, by the way, even if it is horrible, I'll never skip it, so I will always watch everything. (laughs) Um, And then, yeah, I ended up really liking it, actually. (laughs) 
ah, I'm a contrary person. You tell me to zig and I will zag. Um, you are my kind of people. <laughs> I also cannot skip anything regardless of how terrible people tell me it is. Yeah, I'm a completist. Uh, when I'm gaming, it's like everything must be collected. Every quest <laughs> must happen. Even if I am hating it, even if it's horrible, it must be done. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. So that's how I watch Star Trek. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and that is a little bit why we're here now. So we um, covered Star Trek The Wrath of Khan a few months ago. I think it was November with um, Jen from Command of Her Own podcast. And we had kind of made the decision to skip motion picture. But Mandy, you cannot do that. No. Yeah, no. No, I cannot. <laughs> no. I mean, what if you miss something? Exactly. <laughs> like, I need to know what is going on. Now, of course... The caveat here is I still have not seen all of the original series, so um, but just because it's hard to do television in this format, we have discovered. Um, but I'm I'm familiar enough with it to kind of, I know who all the characters are and I know the general themes. I just don't know the specific plots of the episodes of the original series. Um, so this has been interesting for sure. Well, when I was watching TNG, I started with TNG and then watched TOS, which I think was a good thing, actually, because mm -hmm. I got so invested in TNG that yeah. it helped me power through some of the slower bits of TOS. But what it meant is that there were episodes where I was like, who's that Scottish guy? Or <laughs> right. I was like, oh, wait a second. Sark is Spock's dad? And everyone's like, Really? I'm like, I, technically, I don't even know who Spock is. The only reason I know who Spock is is because you can't not know who Spock mm. is. But like right. for most of the characters, I didn't, I didn't know who Scotty was. And he showed up on TNG and I was like, this dude's cute. I like him. Yeah. People were losing their mind. It was pretty funny. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> so you're one up on me. I didn't, I didn't know all of the characters, even though I was watching Star Trek. I did not know the original series characters. Okay. Yeah, so we should have a note on spoilers here, I think, because Mandy hasn't seen any of the other Star Trek movies, and mm, potentially correct. we're going to cover them at some point. And then Mandy has seen at least, I think, Next Gen and Voyager, so we can't talk about the end of Voyager. Correct. Yeah, I or, love or the, this the minefield seasons. that we've set up for ourselves. We're like, we can't <laughs> talk about half of Voyager and half of DS9 and some of TOS and Oh, no, I haven't seen any of DS9, so that one's just off the table. <laughs> okay, that, that makes it easier. <laughs> oh, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> okay, so Mandy, why are we returning to the motion picture? So I really enjoyed The Wrath of Khan. And, um, of course, I am a completionist. And so I had said, even back then, that we were going to go back and do the motion picture. And you were hedging on it. And you were like, eh. <laughs> really don't want to do this thing. Um, and then you made me watch documentaries. And one of those documentaries that we watched was For the Love of Spock. And that movie made me want to watch all things Star Trek all the time. And so while we haven't figured out a good way to work television back in, I thought going back to the, at least the beginning of the TOS movies would be a good place to start. Um, so I also did Discovery this year. Um, and so I just felt like I needed more Star Trek. That's very fair. Um, and and I felt we couldn't just be uh, negative about it or have me going, oh, I have reservations. So we found Andy, who really quite enjoyed it when she watched it. So Yeah, I and I liked it even more when I rewatched it. 
Excellent. <laughs> yeah. This is going to be good. I'm excited. Okay, a quick bit of history. Star Trek The Motion Picture was released in December 1979. It comes 10 years after the live-action series Star Trek had been cancelled, following continued calls by fans and creators to continue the story. There had been an animated series and early production on a Phase 2 series had begun, but that was cancelled and then changed into a motion picture following the success of films like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. The film was directed by Robert Wise, best known for West Side Story and The Sound of Music. It's based on a story by science fiction writer Alan Dean Foster. It reunites the cast from the series, led by William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly, also being joined by Stephen Collins as the new captain of the Enterprise, Willard Decker, and Persis Kambata as Ilea, the new navigator. Star Trek The Motion Picture was not well received. Critics were very negative in reviews, particularly about the pacing and thin plot. However, it took $139 million at the box office against a record $46 million budget and remains the highest grossing film of Star Trek franchise to this day when adjusted for inflation. It was nominated for three Academy Awards, Art Direction, Visual Effects and Original Score. There is a director's edition released in 2001 where Robert Wise made a number of changes. There were drastic improvements to the effects, which include shortening a number of sequences, and there were scenes added back in which add more character moments and improve the pacing. The conversation we have today will focus on the theatrical edition, which is still used and is still shown on TV and streaming media. Now, I read that there is a special longer version of this movie that ABC made them make so that they could fill the full three-hour time slot when they showed this. Is that actually true? I, I, I can imagine know. so. Yeah, it like we said with Godfather 2, I, I can imagine they did it just because, hey, it's TV, let's put as much crap on there as we can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just I cannot imagine a longer version of this movie is what I'm saying. Really, what happens is when they're going into the the middle of the the ship, it just goes on for another hour. <laughs> I mean, ba- people barely notice the change. To be honest, that's fair. <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. <laughs> Okay, well, if you are listening to this and you have never seen Star Trek The Mission Picture, um, it is about an alien spacecraft of enormous power is spotted approaching Earth. So Admiral James T. Kirk resumes command of the overhauled USS Enterprise in order to intercept it. Right, so how was everyone able to watch this film? Andy, do you own it now? Do you have it on a streaming channel? I actually watched it on Amazon. You can get it through Amazon if you have the stars. And I don't have stars, but I had a seven-day free trial, so I watched it that way. Yes, I have done that on a few occasions to to watch something. (laughs) It's useful having more than one email address. Yes. Um, and it is available to rent on Amazon as well. There, it's it's not really available on any of the on-demand subscription services, um, except of course the Stars Channel on Amazon. So, it was actually when I first watched it, I watched it on Amazon too, and it was free at that time. So they must have changed it. Yeah, but they do that. Yeah. Now, Matthew, I'm willing to bet you own this one on <laughs> several formats. Um, just the one. It's probably the third time I've owned it, but I've got the original series movie box set on DVD. Okay. And and it is available on Sky Cinema over here if people want to get it on uh, a, a streaming platform. 
So, uh, going into it, Mandy, what were your expectations? Um, I thought it would be okay. Um, I was trying to temper my expectations because so many people said it was so bad. Um, but I also recognize that I often do like things that other people don't, <laughs> and I am a fan of Star Trek. So I, I thought I would not hate it and likely enjoy it somewhat. Okay. Um, we, we've covered the cast elsewhere, I'm sure. Um, so mm-hmm. Robert Wise, the director, and Stephen Collins, that made new addition. Have, have you seen their work <laughs> elsewhere? Um, yeah. So I was completely shocked to see Reverend Camden on Star Trek. What? <laughs> Stephen Collins was Reverend Camden for like 10 years on Seventh Heaven. Okay. There's a TV show over here back in the 90s and early 2000s. Um, it's probably then, his most no- well-known role, at least in America. Yeah, I had no idea he was going to be on Star Trek. He was kind of like the Kirstie Alley for me after The Wrath of Khan. I would never even consider him <laughs> being somebody I would see in sci-fi. It was weird. He, um, he is also in um, All the President's Men. He's one of the shady which I have dudes. Not seen. Yeah, I haven't seen that either. Um, and and Robert Wise, I've never even heard of. So yeah. okay, so Sound of Music, West Side Story. <laughs> well, of course, I've seen The Sound of Music, but I, I didn't know who directed that, okay. and I failed and did not look him up. So <laughs> okay. Um, I was just thinking we've already done Star Trek, so we've talked about this yeah. already. Uh, uh, there is. Obviously, content like this. I'm not going to ask you your experience of Star Trek, because we've talked that. But sci-fi like this. So, 2001 A Space Odyssey, The Day the Earths Are Still, and Close Encounters. Have you seen any of them? Not a single one. Okay. Good. That's why we do this show. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, Mandy, how did you find the Star Trek, the motion picture? Did you enjoy it? I mostly enjoyed it. I did. I think my expectations were spot on. Right. Okay. Did did it make a difference, the number of people being like, oh, it's going to hate it, or oh, it's awful? Um, No, because, I, I mean, honestly, all that did was make me hold even tighter to the idea that I must find something to like about this thing. <laughs> <laughs> because it was really going to hurt my heart if I watched something that was Star Trek and I didn't like it, or I hated it. Um, and, and so I was trying really, really hard to say, no, I, I, I have to find something about this that I can say was good. Um, and, and, and I have many thoughts about this movie and, and things that could have changed, but overall I did enjoy it and I'm glad I watched it. Okay. Have, because you've seen The Wrath of Khan, can we talk about the comparison between the two of them? Can you understand why Wrath of Khan is such a different movie to this? Well, for starters, Wrath of Khan had an actual plot. <laughs> oh, shade thrown. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. I, th- I think, um... Honestly, there are a couple of things that, that I think about why they did what they did with, with this movie versus what they did with Wrath of Khan. You know, coming off of a 10-year hiatus, you know, uh, kind of accepting the animated series, which, yes, happened in that 10 years, but it's still not quite Star Trek. You know, you're not seeing these people. You're not actually seeing the Enterprise and things like that. And so coming off that 10-year break... You know, they wanted to do something big and fabulous and bombastic and to just show everybody this thing that you love still exists. And and I think they tried too hard to do that. Um, and, and that's why when you do get around to the Wrath of Khan, they kind of reined it back into the roots of what Star Trek actually is. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah Have you actually seen the anima- animated series? 
I've not. Okay, you have to see um, it. It's amazing. I, I read a little bit about it today because, one, I wanted to know when it took place. And then I wanted to know if it was canon. Um, oh, and it, it oh, sounds like girl, it don't was canon at argument. one point. <laughs> yeah. So Wikipedia says it was, but then it wasn't. So it, it feels like a Star Wars argument there. So Yeah. But it's um, it's it's bonkers. It, the whole thing is like tracked on LSD. It's amazing. Okay. Mm-hmm. That sounds pretty awesome. It, it, is, it is awesome. It is canon, except that one frame where the one character has half a uniform colored wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Um, yeah, Rathacon is a big change. I think one of the biggest changes is they have color on the uniforms. Oh my God, like, those uniforms. There's actual color that pops off the screen every so often. Um, they kind of look like, you know, dentists or hospital workers. See, it's every time I'm like, is this color a 70s color? I think. Was it represented in the fourth Doctor Doctor Who scarf? And if it was, <laughs> then it's a super 70s color. And I'm pretty sure that all of the uniforms in this movie are represented on this Doctor Who scarf. Like, those weird grays and maroons and just, like, mustard colors. It's just such a weird palette, but it's so specific to, like, this time period. It kind of makes me laugh. I was actually really surprised by the uniforms in this movie because I'm used to the brighter colors, the red and the yellow and, you know, the black pants and not being so monochromatic. And and so this one felt very sterile and it was distracting. You know what else is distracting? How tight they are. (laughs) There were a handful of moments where some of the men were reaching for things and I was like, that is... uh." That is graphic. <laughs> I don't know if they just didn't notice, but I noticed. No, I suspect they did. But you can't <laughs> help but. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I did read that um, William Shatner hated them so much that he made it a condition of coming back to any sequel that they had to redo the uniforms. They're not flattering. Is, no, They're not really not flattering. Yeah, I, I don't know what they were trying to accomplish with those uniforms, but um, I, I'm glad that, that he got them to change it for Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because this whole thing is a vision of the future. It's all exactly like you say, a bit kind of sterile, um, but it's really calming and it's all nice pastels and everything works. You don't have to hold on anymore. You can just say bridge and the lift takes you to the bridge. Oh, my God, it's futuristic and amazing, which is nice because we don't have to call for Alexa to do something. Um, <laughs> Play Despacito. Yeah. <laughs> but there is this, um, exactly like you said, going into it, they are trying to show you this is Star Trek. This is the, what the future can look like when we have this budget. You know, it's it's the biggest budget I think any of the films have had of, of this era. Um, so that whole sequence looking at the outside of the ship and then him going into the ship and seeing all the different areas and what the engine room looks like now, it, it is spectacular. There's just a lot of it. Yeah. The thing is, too, is this is where I don't know, Matthew, if you saw it in the theaters. I'm going to guess not. No. <laughs> right. Um, But for us, like watching it on Amazon, you know, decades later, it's hard to really capture like the emotional impact of that because mm. I know fans that were there in that theater and like they just unabashedly like cried. Because 
it's like it's a love letter. It's a love letter to the Enterprise. It's actually one of my favorite sequences, that whole thing. And Shatner actually acts the hell out of it. Like this like look of wonder and you can see how much he loves the ship and how much he wants to be on it and just the love there. And the whole thing is very fan servicey. But I mean, the mm-hmm. fans needed some service. You know, they they've <laughs> been they'd been loyal fans of this franchise that was supposedly dead and then suddenly they're getting a movie and by god we're going to give them 10 minutes of the enterprise and you're yeah. going to like it <laughs> yeah uh we had uh one of our listeners on twitter uh at daniel underscore swenson he said yes there's a 187 minute docking sequence where the whole movie just pauses to make leisurely love to itself I'm here for it. Let me drink in all those model details. I enjoy it when a movie actually lets me see all the special effects they worked so hard on. And I think my note and in my thoughts document was this is painfully slow and it's like taking forever, but I get it because it had been 10 years since anybody had seen the Enterprise on their screen in color. And and so the fans who were sitting there in the theater on opening night were just reveling in that sequence. Like, I totally get it. It's like, you know, what we kind of experienced with The Force Awakens after so long of not having Star Wars on our screen. We have it again and we're going to watch whatever they give us, you know. And so I did appreciate it, even though, oh, my God, it was so long. It was so long. It does make me appreciate, though. um, the amount of work that the original series put into the characterization of both Kirk and Scotty that you know exactly how much these two dudes love that ship. Like, Scotty will punch you in the face if you disparaged the Enterprise. He will straight up punch you. Yeah. And I really liked how he was, you know, trying to tell uh, Captain that... You know, the ship is not going to be ready to leave when you want it to be ready to leave. Admiral, we have just finished 18 months redesigning and refitting the Enterprise. How in the name of hell do they expect me to have a ready in 12 hours? Take me over, please. And he's like, but it's my ship now. I fought for it and they're letting me have her back. And he's just instantly like, okay, we'll have her ready when you need her. Yeah. Well, any man, if it managed such a feat, I would not dare disappoint. She'll launch on time, sir. And she'll be ready. It's like, that's amazing. And it's a simple way to set up this relationship that had been very strong in, in the TV show. And, and folks may have forgotten or maybe they're new to the franchise coming into this movie. I thought it was pretty great. Yeah, I do appreciate it. in that sequence it starts. That's the first time we see um, Kirk interacting with the crew in that way. And, and he's quite openly flirting with Scotty. And an untried captain. Two and a half years as chief of Starfleet operations may have made me a little stale, but I wouldn't exactly consider myself untried. They gave her back to me, Scotty. Gave her back, sir? I doubt it was that easy with Nagura. You're right. (laughs) And this sets up what he will do for most of the rest of the film of, you know, when he sees Chekhov and he's kind of hey, having fun, and he's doing that with everyone. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, he's going to flirt with you and make some jokey joke. Mm -hmm. No, man, 90% of this movie is him staring longingly at Spock. (laughs) It's it's uncanny. I actually, 
when I was rewatching it, it was even more obvious the second time around. I'm like, I know plenty of people do not ship them, and that's totally fine. I think that's one of the strengths of their relationship, actually, is that you can read it in a myriad of different ways, and they're all pretty valid. But you have to admit that if you took all of the scenes of Kirk looking at Spock and set it to Dreamweaver, you'd have a banger of a shipping video. (laughs) (laughs) He just, like, the second he's there, his eyes do that, like, soft thing. Googly eye, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'm just like, wow, guys. Well, you were definitely the fanning the flames of something here. (laughs) (laughs) I I can remember... My friend, one of my friends, reading the novelization of this, obviously years later, but uh, but him having a conversation with me, like, I think Kirk might be gay. <laughs> <laughs> just and and that was mostly just from the text of like, I need you, but the book really does put it on <laughs> where it's not even coming through the acting at that point. I think the writers did know what they were doing very much. Well, I think the actors did too, because Shatner certainly has had a lot of fun with kind of nudge nudge wink winking it throughout the years Hmm. but i don't know how much of that is sincere and how much of that is just playing to whoever is in front of him at that time i don't i don't know i can't speak to that but they definitely know that it's a thing oh for sure okay before we get too deep into actually talking Hmm. about this movie i do have a question kind of about continuity and plot and stuff so did they show Kirk being promoted or was he still just a captain at the end of the original series, at the end of the animated series, and this is the first time we've seen him promoted or is there something that I just kind of missed? You didn't miss anything. Yeah. Okay. It just kind of cuts off. Okay. Uh, so Unfortunately, the original out- series, its ending is not like an ending. It's like the right. last episode and then it's done. And then it's just done. Okay. And of course, because so was... we're Trekkies and we live to suffer, it's a horrible episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this was the first time that anybody had seen Kirk being an admiral. Mm. I'm sure cool. there were novelizations, probably. But as far as I know, on screen, yeah. Okay, okay. That helps just a little bit. Just because... That was just the question that I had while I was watching it. it. Was like, should should I already know that this is a thing, or are they trying to tell me a piece of the story and of the timeline? So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty much Kirk got promoted and he hates it. <laughs> yeah, all he wants to do is drive a spaceship. Yep, pretty much. He wants to fly that away. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that away. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so does that answer your questions about the setup for the film? Yes. Okay. Um, how do we think the new characters in this work then? So it, it's got the, I think, all of the cast back from the original series, but it also introduces Decker and Ilea. Uh Do they work well? Are they good additions, given that they're here and then they're gone? I think so. Um, I wasn't surprised that they were both gone by the end, just largely because I'd already seen The Wrath of Khan. <laughs> <laughs> and so I knew they weren't in that. Mm. Um, but all I could think while I was watching them was that these were prototypes of William Riker and Deanna Troy. Yeah, I can I can see that. Mm. They kind of repurposed a lot of Phase 2 for TNG. And okay. this was kind of Riker-Troy 1.0. Right. Um, and I'm glad that they reworked them because I think they work better in TNG. For one thing, I think that um, Freaks brings a lot more kindness, I guess. Like a that twinkle and a sense of humor yeah. 
Mm. Whereas Decker just seems like a tool. <laughs> yeah, the only time Decker ever smiled was when he was looking at Ilea. Every other time he was on screen, he was challenging Kirk. I remember when you recommended me for this command. You told me how envious you were and how much you hoped you'd find a way to get a Starship command again. Well, sir, it looks like you found a way. <laughs> Mr. Frowny Face. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which, you know, honestly, I kind of understand a little bit because this was supposed to be his ship. It was the grand unveiling of this brand new, like, state-of-the-art ship that was supposed to be his. And then all of a sudden, Kirk walks back in and says, nope, you're not going to be captain anymore. I'm captain, and you're now going to be my first officer. You know, so I get the attitude, but that's not what you go to Star Trek for. It's tiresome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they were trying to make him into a foil for Kirk, like he's supposed to be a mirror for Kirk and Mm -hmm. his insecurities, which is why there's a scene where McCoy's like, stop being a douche. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's a patented McCoy move. You know, I'm pretty sure there's a scene in almost every piece of Star Trek where McCoy has a scene with Kirk to tell him to stop being a douche. (laughs) Um but yeah, for me, I just I just think he's boring in so many ways. And I think that Riker is so much better in every possible metric. Um, but they also had a lot more time to develop him and a lot more time to like put thought into how he would be like long term and stuff. But mm-hmm. Decker, I didn't cry when he turned into whatever that is. Oh no, not at- I I was not emotionally invested. <laughs> Thousand points of light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I think their inclusion does a slight disservice to everyone else because outside of Kirk, Spock and McCoy and maybe a bit of Scotty, no one really has anything to do. And if they do, it's to do with Decker. Yeah. Uhura especially gets shortchanged. I oh, think. yeah. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Which is a shame. She looks great. I love her afro so much. <laughs> right. She is serving so much look in this this movie, it's just unbelievable. She's the only one that makes that uniform look kind of okay. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's the power of Michelle Nichols. But going back to Ilea, I have issues with Ilea too, just because they made her so flat. Like she's mm. she's essentially just male gazy. Like mm-hmm. that's it. Like she's just there to look gorgeous and to have. Decker is to soften Decker and to give him a motivation and that's pretty much it we don't get a sense of who she is as a person which makes me sad yeah I I think I would have maybe looked at her a little more favorably had they not had the robot Ilea dress in a short bathrobe with heels Mm. like the bathroom miniskirt is one of my favorite things of all time really (laughs) so (laughs) ludicrous why is she wearing that why? The transparent Why? heels. I mean, come on. Mm. <laughs> I don't... Okay, so I mentioned this on Twitter because when I was rewatching it, I was like, this is one of my favorite things about this movie. Why does V'ger think that a probe should wear a bathrobe miniskirt? Why? <laughs> and I just love inexplicable stuff like that where, like, in-universe it makes no sense, but out-of-universe it makes sense because you want all the dudes to be like, cool, she looks hot. Right. So there's a there's that part where... When she is, like, behind the glass or whatever, that apparently what's happening in that scene is Kirk is beaming the bathrobe miniskirt onto her. 
And I did not catch that at all. <laughs> no, I didn't either. No, I, I know. And like somebody tweeted me and was like, you know, and I thought back to it. And I was like, you know, you're right. Because she appeared and then Kirk presses a button and then like it's really bright white. And then she walks out in that. Huh. Why would Kirk dress her in a bathrobe miniskirt and heels? Like none of it <laughs> makes sense. Like the explanation makes even less sense. And I just think that's tremendous. <laughs> I just, yeah, I had never why, noticed that. If that's the thing, it does not come across. No, it really doesn't. He even said that he didn't realize that was the intent until he read one of the behind-the-scenes books, and he was like, <laughs> "Really? I mean, okay." Oh, is this a bit of so. a, a bit of revisionism to make him seem less sleazy or something? Maybe. <laughs> I honestly don't know what the motivation for the bathrobe miniskirt is. I just like it. I think it's so silly that I love it. And I especially love it because this this movie, as much as I like it, is so pretentious in so many ways. To throw that kind of ridiculous costuming decision mm. right in the middle of like this really ponderous exploration of what the highest truth is and like logic versus emotion and all of this stuff. Why though? <laughs> <laughs> so anyways. Yes, it's ridiculous. Because they've cast someone who has those legs, and if he has yeah. those legs in Act 1, they have to go off in Act 3. <laughs> Props to her for pulling it off. Like, she looks gorgeous. It's just, why, though? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> mm. so, so you're saying you think a film that called itself The Motion Picture is pretentious? Really? Just a wee bit. <laughs> just, yeah, a the- ti- just a tiniest bit. Like, a little bit. This isn't Star Trek the movie. It's Star Trek the motion picture. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they clearly saw 2001 and they were like, hey, look, this is a really cool movie with lots of really highfalutin sci-fi questions. We can do that. And they they did. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can argue about whether it works or not. I think that they did a pretty good job of like bringing up some of these hard questions and I love the themes of this movie but it it clearly was very much like we can do that too. Yeah. We can ask those questions. We can we can match that. We can match the highest of sci-fi. I I think I I, I absolutely agree except the problem is this is like 12 years after 2001. It's a universe <laughs> where we we both have 2001 and we've had Star Trek. So like you need to have adapt and evolve a bit, which is why some of the later Star Trek does some of these ideas better and more thoroughly. This is yeah. just doing some of the same stuff again. And and like the visuals are really good in 2001 because A, we've never seen them before, and B, it's doing them in a, a really mundane way. It's showing flight uh, gravityless movement on a commuter shuttle. Yeah. So it's not like we we almost expect it from Star Trek, particularly again in a post, you know, Star Wars world. That's my it's issue. It's gorgeous, I, though. Oh, it is. They should have taken it further. <laughs> That's my... But you do move us into the plot, which is a good place to be. Um, the plot. Vija. A thing coming back to Earth to destroy... Well, no, to reconnect with the, the creator. And when it can't, it wants to destroy humanity. As you do. Mm-hmm. If you don't get what you want, you should just kill everyone. <laughs> That's the message that I think the motion picture is trying to teach us. <laughs> Full-scale slaughter. 
Yes, because Earth is infested with the carbon units. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be real with you. This this plot only really works for me because they tie it to Spock. And I think Spock's arc is the heart of all of this. And the only reason that I think it works so well is that I love Spock and I love Leonard Nimoy and I think he sells it. They essentially take Spock's highest ideal being logic and he's so close to reaching this goal, this colonar. And then he gets a glimpse of what true, terrifyingly, like, emotionless logic would look like, and he's horrified by it. Vidra has knowledge that spans this universe. And yet, with all its pure logic, Vidra is barren, cold, no mystery, no beauty. I love that. Yeah. So much. And I talked earlier about how much I love that Kirk stares longingly at Spock throughout this whole movie. Can we give props to the best scene in this whole movie, which is when they're holding hands and Spock looks at him and he's like, This simple feeling is beyond Vidra's comprehension. meaning no hope Jim no answers it's asking questions what questions is this all that I am is there nothing more and like this moment that he realizes that logic is not the highest form of truth and he realizes it because he loves Kirk what are you trying to do to me, Star Trek? Destroy me? <laughs> Destroy my heart forever? Because that's what it does. I love that, and I love that scene. They just also took a really long time to explore it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and that, the great moment where he realizes it and he laughs. He can only laugh at, oh my God, what the Vulcans want, they can't get to. It doesn't work. And like, not only that, they shouldn't. Hmm. It, it, it's it, amazing to me. It's an amazing idea. Yeah, it's so well drawn. But we've taken a very long time to get there. We've seen a lot of the Enterprise going through space to get to that point. I mean, you get maybe an hour through before you ever really start to scratch the surface of the plot. Mm. So much of this movie is set up. Yeah, it's hard to recover from that. Yeah, As a first-time watcher, it it's hard to go in that deep to the plot because you're so distracted by the sweeping shots and the the reactionary shots of the crew with no dialogue and all of this music. You know, I was sitting here listening listening to you describe that scene with with Spock and Kirk and Andy, you gave me goosebumps listening to you talk about that moment, but I didn't have that feeling when I watched it. Um because I was just so distracted by everything else that was going on that it just didn't get to that level for me. So I'm really glad we have you on the show to kind of <laughs> help me go deeper um, because it just it wasn't there for me this first time. Well, I have to tell you, I mean, I said at the very beginning that I liked it better the second time around. Part of that reason is because when you go into it and you understand that it's going to be an hour before anything actually happens, it's easier for you to just enjoy it and just mm-hmm. like 
for me, there's always a middle part in this movie. And I remember very clearly it happening the first time I watched it too, where I was like, I want to die. Like I, (laughs) I can't come back from this. Like I just, I'm so, I'm so bored. And then I don't know, like every single, uh, granted I've only seen it twice, but both times the ending of it made up for that to such an extent that I forgave it for being such a slog in some parts. Okay. But if they fixed the pacing of this movie, like there is a tremendous movie buried in here. Mm -hmm. Especially since even though the pacing is glacial and I hit that halfway point and I think death is sweet, (laughs) (laughs) I still love this movie. (laughs) You know, like that's that there's there's so much there. It's just kind of buried under these admittedly gorgeous shots. So like the second time through is very much like I knew that was going to happen. So it was easier for me to just be like, pretty, you know, and it was much easier for me to like not get distracted by how bored I was, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one one of my notes is that I I feel like this would have made an excellent hour of television. Like if they just cut out all of that extra stuff and just focused on the actual point of the story they were trying to tell, it would have been amazing. Yeah, I mean, if this had been a Spock episode, like a really well-done Spock episode, and I don't even feel like you necessarily need Decker and Ilya for this. You could probably cut them out entirely. Well, but you do need somebody who can disappear at the end. You you need expendable people to join with V'ger. So what you need is a red shirt. You just toss that guy (laughs) out there. You're like, have fun thousand points of light and you're done there, you, there yeah absolutely problem solved oh wait that probably won't work huh you probably should have some sort of emotional attachment to whoever gets sucked up into the light yeah but here's the thing he didn't have an emotional attachment to V'ger's probe yeah you know i mm. i got so frustrated like i know this is moving us off topic to something else but i got so frustrated because at the end when he's telling Kirk, I want this. I want this as much as you want the Enterprise. I'm sitting here thinking, why? Why is this something you want this badly? Is it because you want to be with a robot who looks like the woman that you love who took a vow of celibacy? Because that's really creepy. Yeah. <laughs> and He's pretty creepy and in general, to be honest. That yeah, grace. you're not wrong. There's the Okay, so the part where Ilya quote-unquote, dies, where she gets, like, zapped into nothingness or whatever. Mm-hmm. I hate him so much in that moment because I understand that he's, like, transferring his feelings of grief towards anger for Kirk, but really, like, you're the love of your life, supposedly the love of your life just died and you're just going to throw a little tantrum about it. You're mm-hmm. not going to be like, oh, no. Like, it didn't seem to be about her as a person. It seemed to be about... Look what you did, Kirk. You suck. I should be captain. It, it. He turned it into another part of their like pissing match, and it really annoyed me. And it yeah. really made me feel like he didn't actually care about her as a person. It was more about what she represented to him. And so I don't like him. Is the short version of that? I think he sucks. I think that's a fair assessment. So would we change his character, his arc at all to both make him likable and sell that point at the end? Does it just need to be more about fine as long as I still get to explore because 
I just want to explore. Is that what he needs? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> There's my well thought answer. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what work. And it, part of it too might be the actor. Like maybe he's not capable of that. I don't know. Well, I think part of it, looking at the actor, is just. And, and maybe you guys don't know this. I don't know, but but Stephen Collins is not a particularly good human being he's a predator okay. yes he is a predator um and oh. knowing that now and watching him when he was younger kind of be predatory in this role towards ilea and even towards kirk a little bit kind of did taint that i think it um, did for me as well when i first watched this i didn't know he was in it and he showed up and i was like get this pervert off star trek <laughs> right i was so mad and i couldn't tell the first time i watched it i could not tell if i was mixing up my feelings about stephen collins the person and decker the character but the second time i watched it i'm like maybe they're still a little entwined but i really just don't like him yeah they didn't make him very likable at all um but i think the movie did want to sell us on the emotional connection between him and ilea and, and so i feel like while maybe it didn't need to be Decker and Ilya, I think that in order for the plot to do what the plot was trying to do, there had to be an emotional connection because V'ger was completely logical, but was looking for emotion and looking for feeling. And that's why they needed a human to join with V'ger. Um And so somebody would have had to been able to do that. And I'm not sure if it was just a red shirt that it would have had the same impact, or at least the impact they were going for. Mm. Yeah, I definitely don't think so. Um, and so I think if if it had been a different character or if they had characterized him differently just as a new crew member and not somebody who had been demoted and is constantly battling Kirk for power, it would have worked a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, I was not aware there was stuff about this guy. Oh. And so, frankly, to make him likable, he gets cut from the movie and recast <laughs> as Christopher Plummer. Um, I like it. Just throw him all the way away. There yes. we go. Fine uh, with me. Oh, Star Trek. <laughs> I mean, to be fair to them, there's no way they could have known. No, so... but it's always Star Trek that people are connected to. <laughs> it's, it's somewhere. Um, I mean, at least we do get some of the... like minor characters back i think janice rand is back in this who'd been absent for a while it uh, makes me sad though that they're like let's bring rand back and the first thing that'll happen is she'll have to watch some guy die horribly and feel guilty about it and then we'll just leave yes yeah. just... which is not her fault but she has to apologize for it yeah mm-hmm. uh nurse chapel is back as dr chapel which we quite like um yeah, i and... just wish there was more of her yeah, I think the Bane bit she gets is knowing about a headpiece that Ilya wore. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, the the last thing I really want to talk about was actually Vija itself. Uh, particularly, we had a couple of tweets from Jamie LaFountain at Horatio Drank, who said that the motion picture is Trek at its finest, a flawed but devoted crew inside their starship solving a huge problem, capital H, capital P. 
and the ideas that we may not always be able to control our technology and that our choices have consequences holds just as well, if not better today, as it did then. The villain in the motion picture was humanity, with our usually good intention but semi-blind flailing as we build things without understanding the consequences. It didn't need the frenetic battles and whipping camera angles of today's short attention span filmmaking. It stands alone. I so, certainly agree that the theme, the theme he describes mm. there is great, and he's right that it does a good job with it. Yeah, and considering Star Trek as a, you know, doing the the metaphor, talking about some sort of uh, societal problem or some sort of concept, but using science fiction as the metaphor for it, what is the metaphor here? Is it doing something just about our growth and our consideration of the world around us as we build these things? That's a really good question. You know what this just makes me think about? So <laughs> I, I'm... I'm going to be real with you is, is it makes me think of Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park. Where he's <laughs> yeah. like, you, you, you were thinking so much about whether or not you could, you didn't stop to think about whether or not you should like one of the greatest lines ever. Yeah. That's what it mm. makes me think of is so much of the time that we're so excited about possibilities that we don't think about possible consequences. I just think it's. You built a rich. satellite, sent it in space, slapped it on lunchbox. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you tried to control it. It ran into a machine planet, and it found a way. Yeah, we've really taken this as far as it can go, I think. But it's it's a rich theme that I think can be explored one million times and still have meaning for us because we do live in a society that has a tendency to try and push the boundaries of things. Yeah, I, and I think that's a recurring theme throughout Star Trek. Um, mm-hmm. Not every single episode, but certainly I think in every single franchise, it's been explored at least a little bit of how of how the choices that humanity makes comes back to bite you in the ass hundreds of years later. Mm, definitely. Now I just want you to see another Star Trek movie. Which one? Uh, the Voyage Home. It's Number the four. fourth. Yeah. It's the fourth one. Yeah. You should I definitely watch that movie next. Oh, so skip the third one and go straight to four? Well, I mean, you're a completist, so you should watch the third one. But I'm excited <laughs> for you to see the fourth one. <laughs> okay. Because actually, I think a lot of these themes that they are playing with here come back in the fourth one in a completely different context and tone. Okay. It's very interesting. So you say that, but actually, I'd never seen the parallels between them. But there are a lot of... Par- yeah, okay, okay. I'm going to make a note for when we do number four. <laughs> but that is an interesting conversation, how it does the first film. But better. Cool, cool, yeah. cool, cool. Um, okay, I think we've been getting into the weeds a lot. Uh, do we want to discuss some of our favorite things about this? Disco bone! <laughs> <laughs> You've done so well holding it in. Yeah. <laughs> for 45 minutes to talk about disco bones. Well, please. He looks talk. like he's coming back from a four day Coke bender. <laughs> he's got this giant beard and a statement necklace, and everything he wears shows off his chest hair. It's amazing. His raw sexual power could power the Enterprise forever. I love him. Oh, yeah, even whenever he changed into a formal Starfleet uniform, it still it showed his chest hair. <laughs> his chest hair was just curling over his uniform, and I was like, yes. Yes, it was amazing. This is the Disco Bones aesthetic that 
this movie was missing. <laughs> yeah, he's basically been like Burning Man and Coachella ran into each other. <laughs> it is it is great, and he has so little to do. But in the, the, the tradition of the character, it's all fun and it's all pointed. There is not a moment wasted with him. Absolutely. Yeah, and it always reminds me at, at how much he can get away with with the captain. You know? Oh, yeah. He does I mean, what he wants. He absolutely does what he wants. You know, like, I mean, he didn't actually call the captain a douchebag, but he, he did kind of, in so many words, say, hey, dude, stop being like this. Make your point, Doctor. The point, Captain, is that it's you who's competing. You ram getting this command on Starfleet's throat. You've used this emergency to get the Enterprise back. And I intend to keep her, is that what you're saying? Yes. It's an obsession. An obsession that can bind you to far more immediate and critical responsibilities. Your reaction to Decker is an example, Jim. You know, and then when when Kirk is going, he's called Decker into his quarters to basically reprimand him. Bones is just like, mind if I tag along? And I'm like, dude, that is some bold action there. He's the best. Yeah. Absolutely the best. I would also like to point out that this movie knew to the precise moment how long I could go without Disco Bones and the second that I needed him he was there Right. and they did the same thing with Spock just as you're getting to the point where like okay I get this but where is Spock suddenly Spock is there and you're like thank you thank you Star Trek this is what I needed I needed Spock suddenly appearing onto the ship looking like a desert hippie yeah, <sighs> very much a desert hippie. Although he did cut his hair before he came back on the ship. I which know, was but disappointing. Desert hippie Spock is one of my favorite things too. <laughs> Disco bones and desert hippie. I love it. They're amazing. Yeah. I'm just waiting in case there's anything else that needs to be. <laughs> it's excitedly the greatest thing pronounced. ever. Nice. It's, it's, I mean, what more can you say except for it's the pinnacle of human achievement? <laughs> it is great, and as character introductions go, it works. Absolutely. Whether you've seen the original series or not, because I've never watched this in, in with the thought of, you know, what if you'd never seen any Star Trek, which there must have been people. Um, but it's a good thing to be like, oh, prickly dude says what's on his mind. Totally weird. Mm. I do have to ask, though, did they ever actually say McCoy's name in this movie? Because I couldn't remember it. And so every time I referenced him in my notes, I called him Bones because Kirk did. And I could not remember his real name. And then one of you two said it when we started. And I was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, that's it's one of those things that you probably wouldn't notice. If you know his name, you wouldn't notice whether Mm. or not he said it or not. I wouldn't be surprised at all. (laughs) I mean, with Spock... I mean, Kirk can only go so many minutes before he says, Spock, Spock. in his, like, sad, lovelorn voice. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Okay. All right. That's interesting. The third time I watch this, I'm going to watch with that in mind. Okay. Well, I'm going through the transcript, and no one has said his name yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good catch. Nope. Nope. No one that oh. actually says McCoy. Okay. One thing that we should talk about too is the score and how tremendous it is. Absolutely, yes. It's so good. 
It's the only reason that they could get away with like three minutes of solid blank screen at the beginning. Mm. Yeah, because the music was good. It's so good. <laughs> I mean, I legitimately thought that there was something wrong with my video like screen <laughs> when I was watching. I was like, like I actually googled the Star Trek the Motion Picture start with a black screen, and. I was shocked to find out it actually does for like three minutes. <laughs> yep. Talk about arrogance in filmmaking. Yeah. Oh, Americans. <laughs> Where's my movie? I need my moving pictures. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Um, no, the music is terrific. I mean, it's so good. They then use it as the theme tune to next gen. It's yep. terrific. And I just find it so operatic almost Mm. like it's so dramatic and it feels like it's telling a story and all on its own and then when you layer it against the visuals it really Mm. is it's just it's gorgeous and i love it i will say i was not a fan um once you got past the paramount pictures presents and you go into like the opening credits proper um, and they go into the actual Star Trek theme. It was very, very trumpet heavy at first, and I was not a fan of that. Like, I really enjoyed the more softer melodic score that they had going on, and and I, I wasn't a fan of the trumpets. Kind of adding to that, one of the things that I think it does really well is that a lot of this movie in tone and, like, atmosphere is very horror-like. It's, it's, it's almost like, like, oh, well, I guess it probably was inspired by Kubrick, because I was actually thinking The, sh- the Shining. Mm. It's kind of like this slow, ponderous horror that's, like, creeping up on you, especially at the beginning. And one of the things that the score does well is it's unsettling in yes. spots and, like, truly alien sounding and also just uncomfortable to listen to. It makes you feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Which I think is is really cool use of score. Yeah, I noticed it the most um, in that first musical transition after the theme, um, when the Cleons come on screen, and God, the music just got so ominous and so sinister so quickly, which was really jarring after the upbeat, like broadening theme song. Mm-hmm. It was really weird, but it it made me feel something yeah it makes you feel creeped out like you feel like something's wrong yeah definitely i I, this is this is the art of scores right Mm -hmm. is like Mm. it's setting a tone that they haven't actually done anything yet but you feel on edge it's like it's like when you're playing a video game and you hear the boss music (laughs) or you hear the fight music but you haven't seen anything yet so you're just like oh god oh god what's happening Where's the monster coming from? I know it's coming. <laughs> right. Like, but they do that in, in this movie really well. And sometimes it's subtle and sometimes it's not subtle at all. But either way, I love it. Yes. And I do find the introduction of the Klingons has a weird parallel to Discovery. That Star Trek's been off the air for years. It comes back and the first thing we see is Klingons who look completely different than they've ever looked before with their own language and amazing subtitles in their own like font and design yeah and, and that's exactly how discovery opens and I, I don't i'm assuming it's just a coincidence but there are Maybe. no coincidences 
I'd be willing to bet that was intentional. I could be completely wrong, but it just feels so similar. Yeah, there's just a, a, another element too much to it. If it was just the Klingons and they looked the same or, or something to it, but it is just, yeah, weird parallels. Yeah. Mm. Um, Mandy, anything else on this that for you was a favorite moment line performance? Um, I have a couple of lines that are really, really funny. Um, but before I say those, I do want to, to mention, I think, you know, people always make fun of William Shatner for overacting, especially with his facial expressions and movements. And, and we got a lot of that in this movie because there was so, so many shots with no dialogue where they were just showing reactions of the crew. But there was one point um, when Spock and McCoy and Kirk are all talking um, and Spock says something that just absolutely breaks Kirk's heart. Like in that moment, his face just falls and you see him go through like disbelief, heartbrokenness, and then resolve. And that's not something that I really ever thought William Shatner could do. And it just kind of stuck with me. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he gets a lot of flack, but I actually think he's a great actor. Mm. He is a. I, I don't like trained, him as a yeah. person, but I think he's a great actor. <laughs> and um, I think he is a great Kirk. He is, definitely. Um, but it's just, I, I don't really hear people talk about him being a great actor. Um, and, and you don't really think of him as being anybody other than James T. Kirk. And so to see a scene like that in this, you know, first full theatrical release, I thought was pretty fantastic. Mm. And and it just stuck with me because it it resonated with me to see that level of actual emotion on his face um, about a relationship that, you know, is important to him. It's worth pointing out that all of Shatner's best moments of, as Kirk are in relation to Spock. Like oh, his, yeah. mm. his best and most like delicate acting work is done because of Spock. So I feel like a lot of it is probably Nimoy and him having such chemistry. Mm-hmm. Being yeah. able to play off that with each other. Definitely. Um, yeah, and so then just some some of the funny dialogue that I really, really liked. It just made me laugh. Um, when Spock finally shows up on the ship, Bones is like, Well, so help me, I'm actually pleased to see you. <laughs> Which I think is hilarious because, again, you know, I haven't watched all of the original series, but I have watched all of the, the rebooted movies. And, and I'm sort of aware of what, of what happened in the original series. And so I know that there's tension between those two. Um, and so that just made me laugh. Did it make um, you laugh even harder when Spock just gave him, like, shady face and turned around? And laugh? Oh, absolutely. Because <laughs> that right there in a nutshell of Spock and McCoy. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> I don't have time for this. <laughs> it's like, uh, not worth me- my time. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and then when Ilea comes on board, she comes straight to the, the, uh, bridge. And I don't even remember what Kirk says to her, but her first response to him is, My oath of celibacy is on record, Captain. And I actually had to pause because I was laughing so hard at that. <laughs> because it's just, that's such a moment of like self awareness as well as just, it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then Kirk doing his little overreacting uh, or overacting to Bones is Damn it, Bones. I need you. Badly. <laughs> I just it made me laugh. 
Because it's also, I, I'm pretty sure that one of McCoy's catchphrases is, damn it, Jim. I could be wrong, but I feel like that's a thing. And, and so to feel it, to see it reversed like that, it just, it made me laugh. I liked it. I liked, I liked it a lot. That's exactly what I was saying. The part of uh, Kirk flirting with everyone and just being closer than you would normally expect from a superior officer. The, the the bit that I've remembered that I completely forgotten is where the Enterprise finally works properly, and he gives Chekhov a big wink. Hey, yes. Chekhov! <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, that just felt normal to me. But maybe I'm just so I was so immersed in the movie that I was just drinking the Kool Aid. <laughs> see, and the the parts you've pointed out. May like remind me of what's true of every single TOS movie, no matter how horrible it is. Kirk, Spock, McCoy together are magic. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. They that gives are. me hope for for watching some of the other movies because I've been told that all of the odd number movies are terrible and the even numbered movies are awesome. Okay, kind of, but also <laughs> I have a special love for Star Trek Five. Okay. And I'll get there eventually. It, and when you watch it, I'll tell you exactly why. Okay. I can't yeah, wait. Yeah, we might have to spe- have a special Andy corner when we get to that one. <laughs> <laughs> I we, we've not we touched on it a little bit, but I do love in the film the the tension that comes between Decker and Kirk with with Kirk actively demoting him. It's not even like I'm going to be on board and take over as captain. Um, you are now actually going to be a commander. Um, and then he takes over and it does set up a lot of the tension between them, which is pretty much the only thing that lends itself to a military style in this. It is trying to be very much, you know, we're explorers and it's all nice and it's safe and it's fun. This is the one where, no, we've come through a military organization and you'll follow my orders. Um, and and I like it, but particularly because it's knocking uh, Kirk down, it is saying, you are not right for this position anymore. You do not have the knowledge. And the film lets us see it. He does stuff wrong. He can't find stuff on his own ship. I, I appreciate it. I think it is one of the few bits that really gets me through the film. Is that interplay? But I, I wonder if I'm uh, grabbing onto it. Because I've got so little character interplay. <laughs> like, that's the one that's in there. I have to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, well, I think so, too. Because we needed some sort of conflict in this. Because, I mean... Veecher set up as the villain, but never does anything actually villainous. Like, there mm. is no actual conflict while we're watching this. It's, I mean, okay, yeah, so they did disappear, the, the Klingons and the the one ship or space station or whatever. Um, but once we get the Enterprise interacting with Veecher, he's just very curious. You know, mm. they're studying each other. There's no conflict. And so I feel like... There had to be conflict somewhere, and so they gave it to Decker and Kirk. Mm. There is a, a future book, I think it's The Return, where they discover that the planet Vija found that was covered in machines was actually the Borg, and they sent it back to find other races to report back so they could assimilate them. Wow. Well, that's just terrible. Which, which Makes is, sense. It's just Star Trek fanboy stuff at that stage. Right. We can link this one thing to this one other thing. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, now I really, really, really want you to see The Voyage Home. Because uh, some of your observations about the lack of conflict, I will be interested to see what you think about The Voyage Home. Okay. 
All right. We might just have to start sprinkling Star Trek movies in every couple of months. That sounds like an awesome idea, and you should do that. <laughs> <laughs> we, I think we've got enough f- films. We will just cycle through the, the crew of Women at Warp and have you all <laughs> on to discuss your favorite films. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea, and um, there are three whole other hosts mm. to help you get through it. That sounds awesome. Okay, well, is there anything else that we need to discuss about Star Trek, the motion picture? So I was going to ask if we're going to watch Star Trek 3. It sounds like probably we are, Mandy. Yes, my desire to watch all things Star Trek all the time has not changed. (laughs) In fact, I think after talking to Andy and having Andy be so passionate and excited about it, like, I want to go do it right now. (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to. I'm hoping to go see Ant-Man and the Wasp tonight. but (laughs) It's awesome. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, definitely. We we will do that thing. So... Okay, the bit we've not talked about is the wormhole section. <laughs> Do we have any comments about the wormhole? Like the concept of the wormhole no, or the, the special effects of the, the wormhole? The bit in the film where they enter a, in inverted commas, wormhole, along with an asteroid, and time slows down, and then they get out of it. I like to pretend that part didn't happen. Yeah, because despite this big special effects heavy moment, we were still talking about how nothing happens. <laughs> it, it has no impact on anything there are a lot of things like that like the transporter malfunction also has no real impact other than it leaves a science officer spot open for spock but like they didn't really need that like spock could walk down that bridge and it'd be full up and spock would still take over yeah right i don't so there were a handful of things where it's like really i also really think it's funny that kirk's like you know what the morale of my crew is probably pretty high. You know what I should do is I should put a whole bunch of people dying on screen so they can all watch it together, <laughs> realize what they're up against and that they have no shot to survive, and then we'll just go to work. Awesome. Yeah. He, d- he doesn't give a kind of never give up, never surrender moment. It's just like, oh, this is bad, guys. Let's go. Yeah. It's a... Uh... It's a choice. Hmm. <laughs> it's not a choice I would make as a leader, but... Uh... <laughs> it's one way of doing it. Absolutely. Um, we, we did have feedback from a number of people. Um, we had lots of tweets. Well, we had lots of tweets about, so this film's kind of boring and goes on a long time. We know. We watched it as well. Um, <laughs> so I'm not going to go through them. We had a couple of people who, who talked about the different edits and some of the flaws that were fixed in the director's edition. Um, and uh, our friend Jen from Command of Her Own at Generosity, love, hate the uniform design in it. That's the highlight for me. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Which is fair. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. So Andy, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, it's been a lot of fun having you on. It's been really good having you here. Uh, can you tell us a bit about Women at Warp and where people can find you? Sure. So Women at Warp is my podcast and it's me and three other women and we talk about all things Star Trek from the books to the animated series to all the different versions of the show to themes to the fandom like we really go all out um, and you can find anything about that on our website is the easiest place. It's womenatwarp.com. And then if you're interested in hearing me scream about politics 99% of the time and then occasionally live tweet an episode of Star Trek. You can find that at First Time Trek on Twitter. Oh, I think there's a bit of anime and Overwatch in there. That's true. <laughs> you are you are correct. If you want to see Drag Race gifts and Yuri on Ice mm. tweets, 
I'm also your gal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those were just words to me. I don't know what any of that means. But okay. Oh, I could educate you if you really <laughs> wanted me to. Uh, let me get through Star Trek first. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, if you would like to join the conversation, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. And you can find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vose. We are 100% funded by listeners like you through our Patreon page. Anything you give gives access to exclusive content like outtakes, behind-the-scenes information, and early access. It also helps to support the network and develop new shows. If you want to find out more, please visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And if you want to keep up to date with the latest news and announcements, remember to subscribe with it to our new weekly newsletter. The link is on eloquentgushing.com. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll talk about The Godfather Part 2. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And why is any object we don't understand always called a thing? Pop Culturally Deprived is an eloquent, gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at eloquentgushing.